Hello and welcome to All Things Albion, the podcast dedicated to West Bromwich Albion. Please welcome my co-host back on the 23rd of February 2002 when West Brom beat Portsmouth 5-0. They were there and so was I. Firstly, how are you, John? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, I remember that game, actually. And how are you, Steve? I'm good as well. I think I'm still hoarse from that day. So it's <laughs> uh, it was a Roberts double, Sigurdsson, Doby and Igor Ballas. Might have scored a penalty. Um, I chose that game because that was a positive game that everything went well. Unfortunately. Just like it is at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> that's that's probably the highlight of the podcast in terms of positivity with West Brom. Because yeah. not much else is going well. Not much is going well uh, in current times. Um, we've got a lot to talk about on this show. Apologies, we didn't have a podcast last week. Um, it just didn't work out. Uh, we've got a massive one this week. It's nice to welcome John back on the podcast as well as myself and Steve. Um, we've got three games to review, the Millwall, Rotherham and QPR game. We're going to talk about the accounts. We're going to talk about Jed Wallace's interview, Triple C's interview. Loads to talk about. So... As always, let's dive straight in. We're going to start with the games. Um, Steve, uh, you were at the Millwall game, the nil-nil draw. Um, bit of a stalemate, really. I thought the referee was very poor. Uh, we should have had a penalty. There was a, a moment just to sort of reflect back. We won't talk about the Millwall game for too long because, you know, it's a bit old news now. But there was a, a moment where Yukushlu got tackled. Uh, DK went through on goal, took it around the goalkeeper, got cleaned out and then somehow the referee or the linesman gave offside um i think people widely acknowledge that this was probably the poorest referee performance you've had this season which is saying something because the level of officiating has been awful um but like i said as you were there what did you make of it mate well it was i mean it was a bit of a ding-dong battle really to be honest with you which is unusual uh or it seemed a little bit unusual uh bearing in mind the fact that we've been a bit limp um, just lately, but uh, yeah, that was a bit of a ding dong, really, to be honest. And Millwall were horrible, but they always are. Um, and they they indulge in just about every sort of uh, I don't know shady practice you can think of, really. Uh, you mentioned um, the goalkeeper coming out and clattering Daryl. Uh, well, that was a penalty, and there was no way was that offside. But I'm not going to go into detail, as you say. Everybody knows why um, it wasn't offside. The one thing it couldn't be was offside. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and on another occasion when I think it was um, Brandon got um, got out on the left-hand side and wanted to cross the ball uh, and uh, Daryl was running in on the opposite side of the uh, the penalty area and uh, some clod of a, uh, a centre-back for Millwall, I can't remember which one it was, I think it was the big tall one, um, just, just took his legs, just cleaned him out, uh, ball nowhere near it, uh, at least a, a yellow card and and just nothing. It wasn't even seen by uh, by the three uh, well the three Stooges really. I think they were on the uh, in that game. To be honest with you, and the one in the middle, well, good grief, um, absolutely abysmal. But uh, yeah, it, we the, the snag with it was that uh, probably um, as far as uh, as far as the game was concerned, I think probably uh, probably Millwall came the closest to scoring. Um, uh, apart from you know we, we we were we were reticent to get in the box um, and you know and Ajayi I remember um, Ajayi looked shaky uh, but you know bringing the ball out it's playing out from the back he um, he just doesn't seem in touch with his feet sometimes old uh, 
a JE. And um, yeah, so anyway, overall, uh, a nil-nil draw, it, but it wasn't particularly boring. Uh, but it was probably not boring for the wrong reasons, in as much that we were just howling at Millwall all the time and the referee. Yeah. Um, and let's move on to the Rotherham game now, John. If people care to listen back to our older episodes, I don't know, maybe episode 20 around that time, me and you spent a long time of those podcasts raging about the fact that Jordan Hugel couldn't hit a barn door. Um, to be fair to him, he couldn't hit a barn door to the start of this game. I think the first sort of like, I don't know, half an hour, he's probably our man of the match. The goal line clearances for us, giving us the penalty, you know, he was having a shocker, but unfortunately, so was our defence. Semi Ajay was really poor. I'm going to talk about more about him in our 2-2 draw against QPR in a second. Um, but yeah, Hugo managed to get two. We were played off the park by Rotherham. Really disappointing performance. And um, the start of... Two really poor games. We conceded five goals against QPR and uh, and Rotherham. That's, and and the centre forwards for both are what got is he Martin and Hugel. I mean, it's, it's Dykes, isn't it? Is it Dykes who QPR? <clears throat> Listen, at the end of the day, for Hugel to score two goals against you, you've got to be a bad, bad, bad team. So that says. Just, I mean, I, I don't. Without, how, how can you not be negative about that? It's the it's, he is he is a true a true clogger, and he's bagged two <laughs> So, yeah, where do you go? There was just no defending. Like, I don't want to spend too much time on these two games, but like the defending was awful. Like every time Rotherham got the ball and ran at uh, our team, they just like going to score. To be fair to Josh Griffiths, Steve called it. Steve called it ages ago about Shemi Ajayi. You know, he, he's just he's just a bag of nerves. He's just a, he just can't cope at this level anymore. And it's so strange to watch because <clears throat> when he played for Rotherham and under uh, you know under Billich, when he had better to be fair, he had he probably had better players in front of him, and maybe that was that was it. That was the uh, better players around him, and maybe that's that's the answer. But he just looks a shadow, an absolute shadow of a player that we thought was a decent one. And he was getting a few. He had a few decent games in the Prem as well. So it's really odd that he can't cope with somebody as agricultural as Hugo. Um, but we we lack a physical. I've been saying this uh, for a lot. In fact, we lack a physical presence in our defence. And I think when you're playing against someone like Hugo, I think the reason why Hugo struggled for us is because everybody else has got a physical presence in their defence, and we just haven't. And I think that's what's exposed us so badly in the last few games. Is we're playing against teams who are nothing but physical, um, and haven't been able to cope. So. A lot of work needs to be done on the training pitch uh, and uh, around. Well, not on the training pitch. A lot, of, a lot of a lot of work needs to be done by the technical director, getting these players out and getting ones in who can cope with the physicality of this league, basically. Mm. Technical director, eh? That'd yeah, be useful, that. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever, whatever the. the well, no, but it would next. be it would be nice, wouldn't it? <clears throat> From one we, to buy one. <laughs> yeah, well, we promised one for long enough, and. Uh, but we've uh, we've settled on uh, on well this blistering uh, recruitment process and uh, and personnel that we've got at the moment, who uh, did such an absolutely sterling job in January as well. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to uh, yesterday's game. We drew two two with QPR. Oh yeah, timestamp. We're recording this on the eleventh of April. Um, oh, where do I start with this game? So we raced to a two goal lead. Um, firstly, BTA scored 
after a, uh, I think it was a free kick came in. And then Semi Joy scored after a bit of a goal mouse scramble. And you think QPR, you know, they've been, they couldn't win a raffle before this game. They're flying down the league. I mean, the, uh, there was a stat, wasn't there? Was it like 22nd of October they were top of the league? And now they're like two points outside the relegation zone or something like that. Really poor team. So at that point, you hope that you're going to go on and win 5 6 nil. You know, if, you, if you're if you 2 nil up within 20 minutes or whatever it was. Um, but then West Brom being West Brom, and I think, you know, a lot of fans share this opinion. You start to think, well, are we going to just sit back? I even put a tweet out saying we've, we now can't just sit back and expect that it's job done at 2 nil. We have to keep pushing and keep going and try and get as many goals as possible, which um, the players just didn't do. And it just went from sort of the bad to the farcical. So the first goal from Dykes, I think it was, um, was a free header. You know, there was no closing down to their winger. The ball comes in. Semi Ajayi, like we've already discussed, and I don't want to pick on him too much because I feel like, you know, I don't want to feel like we're lambasting him, but he doesn't even jump for the ball. You know, if you watch the replay, uh, Dykes rises up, heads it, and Semi Ajayi is just jogging next to him. And then he he goes in and Semi Ajayi just turns around and starts walking back towards the penalty, uh, the, the centre circle. And I just thought... What's going on? Like you know, he's he's six foot five defender and he's just not even challenging for the ball. Um, it's, got the same, it's got the same got the same vibe as as you know the, the last the last few weeks of Ishmael. Yes, it, yes, yeah, it does. Okay. <coughs> Where the, the players are just the players hate the situation they're in so much they're just not playing. That's what it feels like. It's, it just feels it's just like watching the Ishmael the last few weeks of the Ishmael reign play out again. Mm. It's not I playing mean, for him, are they? Do you do you see? And I don't want to start comparing the two and people are saying Corbrand's not Val. And I understand that. But can you see the similarities, John? You know, we discussed the Val era at length a lot. You know, we started off really, really well. Performances start to dip, but we keep getting wins. I point towards, you know, when we beat Peterborough 1-0 and semi Joy scored that last-minute goal. You could liken that to when we beat Huddersfield and Wigan recently 1-0. And then the results start to tail off and everyone starts getting frustrated. And even though, obviously, Corbrand started later than Val, like Val started at the start of the season, whereas Corbrand had to pick up from Steve Bruce's mess, the same thing's happening again, isn't it? All I'll say is this. I don't, I, I'm not going to draw comparisons between Ishmael and Corbrand. I don't, I just, because I, I don't see that many similarities between the, the two styles i mean no, it's the reaction of the players though do you know what i mean exactly yeah yeah 100 yeah, right yeah yeah i agree the way the players have reacted to corbran looks exactly the same as the way they reacted to ishmael yeah i'd agree with that mm. um, and that's why i said it because it just it just seems like watching history repeat itself it is it is very strange it's almost as if there's a click there's obviously a click in our squad somewhere and if if the wrong person gets dropped or the wrong person isn't getting games they're just down tools it's I'm 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 so exasperated with the, with an, analysing this facet of, of West Brom at the moment that you know it just brings us back again to the fact that whoever's in charge, whoever's the manager, be it Ishmael, be it Bruce, be it uh, any any of the other uh, four guys that we've had, there's a very very serious problem with our squad. Yeah. Um, and their and their psychology and the way they they were the way they conduct themselves and I think that's just never been dealt with, never. Mm. I mean, and to go into the last goal, Stephen, you could talk about the mentality of the players. I mean, Peters gave you know did a, a back pass towards Griffiths, which wasn't the best, 
Griffiths, you know, miscontrolled it, went to, I think, well, he sort of tried to clear it. I think it bounced off Martins, I think, the um, the QPR striker, yeah. and he went in. Um, you know, I think Semi Ujai ran to get the ball. All the other players just turned around and, and waited for the restart. Nobody went over to Griffiths, a young goalkeeper, put their arm around him, said, don't worry about it, was there to support him. There was nothing. And yet, and yet when Button caught a ball... It was like yeah, we well, just all bombard him, even though he's the worst gone. goalkeeper so, I've ever seen. What what sort of what does that tell you about our senior pros? They like they clearly like Button, don't they? Yeah. Um. So looking at this game, you know, in its 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 entirety, granted we've got some injuries, but for me, the 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 level of player we have on paper on that pitch yesterday should have been more than enough to beat QPR. What do you point to to such a disappointing performance? Lack of quality, lack of uh, a positive mentality. Um, they don't believe they're any good, and and I believe that as well. I think um, when you when you look at when our goalkeeper or the defenders have got a ball, if they're going to play out, there's a basic dichotomy between playing out from the back and playing high tempo football. Uh, you've got to get that right. You've got to move the ball out of defence into midfield quickly so that the tempo of the game isn't lost. But what we do now is we constantly lose tempo because we we keep passing the ball backwards and forwards across the back. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong thing to do because if that's, the, that's what the manager wants you to do, that's what you do. But once that ball hits the midfield, a midfield player, they should be of sufficient quality to speed the game up that's when it snaps up and that's when your fullbacks push on to provide bodies and to find space. But the movement uh, when, when we were in possession of the ball, I, I think it was typified really by TGH. He's, he's got a little bit of a, bit of a uh, bad press over this game, to be honest with you. He had an awful game and, and I think, to be fair, he was in possession of the ball too long for any player who's trying to play a high-tempo football, uh, a, a high-tempo game, because he often was left with the ball when nobody was moving for him. So you've only got to keep that ball one second too long when the opposition, the only thing they've got is physicality and pressing you, like Millwall, like QPR had, and Rotherham were, were really, really good at this, is they put us under pressure so consequently, we were caught in possession all the time. The other thing that we were doing poorly is the basics. So I've already said that. That's the basic. Move the ball into space as quick as you can. Play high-tempo football and then get the ball forward as quickly as you can, but keep in possession and then provide your forwards with the opportunity to score goals. Well, that just didn't happen. Um, and the other thing, of course, the, what I was going on to say is that our, generally our basics, our ball control, and our passing, when we have got the opportunity, we overhit the things, we push them out for for um, for throw-ins instead of hitting our, our wingers. Um, the, the, ball, the, the ball control is abysmal. I mean, well, it was, it's just a mess at the moment. It's just a mess. And we don't have a proper captain on the pitch. Uh, whether or not you believe, like... One or two people seem to believe that captains actually on the pitch don't mean anything, which uh, is is not right. Um, 
then the influence isn't there at the moment, it seems. Uh, I mean, obviously, Oke is missing out of the midfield. So is Malumbi. And they had got a bit of an understanding going. Well, now we've got Chalaba in place of Oke, which is, well, that's never going to be a satisfactory replacement, is it? Uh, and, and then we've got TGH replacing Malumbi, who's um, he's hardly had any game time. The kid, we were complaining about the fact that he hasn't been played for a long time, and then suddenly he's got the opportunity because Malumbi's injured. Um, and even then, he didn't start the game. The first game that Malumbi was out for, he came on. Uh, I just think it's going to take him time to assume the mantle of Malumbi. So I think that's probably enough from me on what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got to. You've got. I've got to be honest. Josh really made a horrible rick of that situation. He, he miscontrolled the ball. It bounced off his, his his foot, his right foot, I think. It hit his left knee and then squirted out about four or five yards away from him, which meant he'd got to make up the ground really quickly. He didn't do it quick enough. Martins closed him down and, well, the equaliser went in on 49 minutes. It was a real rick. And I'm sorry for the lad, it's a shame and you really hope that something like that doesn't happen to a 21-year-old goalkeeper, but it has. And um, whether or not somebody's gone running up to him to put their arm around him uh, is is really, from my perspective, immaterial. You talk about that afterwards, the manager's going to debrief it uh, and you're going to be talking. What you've got to do is you've got to sort of have the resilience already, chin up, get on with the game. And, and to be fair to him, he did, really. Mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, so that brings you on to a point about Griffiths because before the start of the game, I put a post out saying what my starting lineup would be, and I I said Palmer in goal because Palmer I believe now he's back fit. He's, he was on the bench rather than Griffiths, and a few people said, well that's a bit harsh on Griffiths, and I said it is, you know, when a you know sort of Griffiths has done well and deputised for Palmer, but Palmer is our you know uh, you know quote un- he's the best quote. goalkeeper in the yeah division. he's the best goal yeah he's the best goalkeeper statistically, in our team. He's the best, statistically he's the best goalkeeper in the division as well well there you go and when we've got a shaky defense when we are struggling i mean under rotherham we were awful surely you want your bet the best goalkeeper in the league statistically like john says in goal and this I don't to- think can- the thing is mate i know what you're saying but you can't drop griffiths now I think if you drop him now after a clangor like that, it just destroys his... No, no, before the game. Before the game, I was saying. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, you're right. You, you probably, you, you may well be right. I mean, I, you know, you may well have been correct. The issue is, is what's happened has now happened. And it's like, if you just put Palmer in next game now, that's it's going to have such a negative effect yeah, on him. It's a really, you've got to time it. It's almost like a timing thing. You're probably right. The time to do it was before the game. Um but now he's had that clangor. He's got to have the opportunity to have a good game, I think, before you drop him, which is... Uh, and at the end of the day, mate, you know, I suppose we'll talk about whether or not we, our playoff chances are, are done. Um, and I've got my own opinions on that. But depending on what your opinion is, one way or the other, does it really matter who's in goal? I suppose it doesn't, does it? No, I just... But what I'm, I was going to say, yeah. sorry, just, just while no, I've got the, the mic, is... Um, the uh, there's an elephant in the room here, which I feel like we're not talking about, and that is, and it's just I'm just floating this question. It's not a loaded question. Is do we feel like Corbrand's got any uh, any any questions to answer about what's happened in the last three or four games? 
So before the game, I had this selection in mind. And I feel like Corbran has to take some of the stick here. He's he's not it's, above it's criticism. Not just lineups, is it? it's, it's, it's not just lineups, it's tactics as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, well, there's a few things you could point to Corbran. And like I said, look, disclaimer, he's done a great job. I want him to be our manager this se- next season. I feel like he needs a pre-season with the players, um, you know, and that. But I think bar team selection, I feel like we seem flat. I feel like the inspiration's gone. I feel like yeah. what's going on in training. We've had so yeah. many muscle injuries. I mean, fair play to Malumbi. I mean, he was supposed to be out, for, was it eight weeks or something like that, or a month, and he's back already? A month, yeah, yeah he was guys, for a month. The guy's a machine. But we've had so many injuries that are muscular injuries. I mean, you look at the long list, Carl Bartley out again now um, because of a precaution or something, you know, precautionary sort of out of the game or something like that, and who we really missed. You have to start looking at Corbran and, and asking questions. And like I said, I'm not I'm not advocating and get the sack or anything ridiculous like that. But he, he isn't above criticism, is he? One of his coaches came out on Twitter today. I think it was today or yesterday, and it was quite a defeatist tweet. Yeah. Um, uh, it was almost like you know, oh, we need to you know we need to think about why we couldn't achieve what we achieved or something like that. Don't quote me on that because I can't remember off the top of my head. And I just thought, what an odd tweet to come, to come from a coach involved where it's it is still there's still points on the table. Mm. I don't know. I, that was an ill-advised tweet, I think. And I think you know, well, I suppose we'll talk about it in a bit. But Jed Wallace's interview after the game, ill-advised. It all just seemed to me it came across as very, uh, very defeated, very negative. So first, he's going to have your say. Uh, I want to go to Facebook. Uh, Lewis Wilson. He said, is it time for the kids as the playoffs are gone and currently we look worse than the Gold and Buckley teams and that's saying something? It looks to me the players have down tools and look forward to the beach. What an embarrassment. Chris Sheldon, uh, I would like, oh, sorry, I would take an average Samfield over Chalabar and the poor DGH, TGH. I would also have cast off Mowat in before them. I would also prefer Kipre and young Caleb Taylor in rather than those two at the back absolutely awful pairing just shows some of the awful decisions the club have made can we talk uh, about that one for can we talk about that one as a group mate, of course you can because i think yeah. that second one uh was it was a perfect comment look at the players we've got out on loan i know you know there's some there's some really well played really excellent footballers out on loan from this club and uh and you know, when we've got people at Livermore sat on the bench, it's like, or not even getting in this match day squad. Well, going to Livermore, you know, I saw a story recently and it was all, well, it's up to him whether he wants to carry on and in a coaching role or something like that. Just get rid of him. I'm sorry. I'm sure he's a great pro and it's fun, you know, great. He travels to the game. Wow. Thanks, Jake. But I'm sorry. He needs to go. We need fresh people in this team. We need fresh people around the club. Do you think a midfield, I'm going to be really controversial now and probably really trigger a few people. Can you imagine what a midfield of Sawyers and Mowat uh, would be like compared to a midfield of TGH and Chalabar? Chalabar? Mate, you know know what gives me hope for next season? I mean, we're going to talk about... What on earth? What on earth? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to probably destroy me in a minute when we talk about the finances. But I believe in... The entity of West Bromwich Albion squad, which, you know, players out of Cardiff, players out of Middlesbrough, we actually have a decent team, a decent squad. 
And I, and I got absolute pelters for saying that I would have Moat in this team straight away. But I'd have I'd have Moat back, definitely. Moat was one of the best midfielders in the league. I remember us putting a post out and everyone was saying that Moat, like the start of last season, everyone was saying Moat was excellent. I think he plays a good centre-half and I think he played the triple C thing well. And I think Caleb Taylor is as well. But so wasn't that's the one. A, wasn't he carrying a severe groin injury for most <laughs> exactly, of the season? Exactly. Exactly. Like, heard I've, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had to have surgery, didn't he, Steve, on yeah, uh, a serious yeah. groin injury of some description, and then immediately gets shipped out on loan. I mean, it, not that he's been pulling up trees at Middlesbrough, I may add, but look where Middlesbrough are compared to us. But, it's it's yeah. with regards to uh, with regards to Mowat, um, he was he was a, a decent player for us. Uh, he scored some good goals, didn't he? Really, with his left foot. I mean, that, that's a that's a hammer that left foot of his. Mm-hmm. Sheffield United um, and uh, Cardiff. And then, and then he dropped off, and we were all wondering then, because there was no information, uh, and no, you know, there's no need for there to be any information about a player. But we all, what on earth? What's happened to Moat? And then we find out that he's got a hernia, or they called it, they called it. I think he's right. I think they called it a, a groin injury. But then somebody let the cat out the bag that it was a hernia, so we had to have surgery. And now we, then we knew why it was that he was. Um, he was not, yeah, he was, he was not performing like he had done. Um, but you, as, as you rightly say, it, Caleb Taylor being out, um, well, we don't know we don't know what he'd be like in this, but I failed to see that he'd be worse than a Jay has been in the last couple of games. Um, How tall is he, Taylor? Out of interest, it, I, think, I, I think he's six foot two. I think he's six two. See, <clears throat> um, sure. I think I remember. I remember. I remember looking at um, Wikipedia. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I remember looking at Wikipedia a while ago, thinking, "Well, no, six foot two is all right. Six foot two is all right. It depends well, no, on so your time." Well, Sammy Jai is six foot five. Jordan Hugel's what five ten? That is it, a big difference, isn't it? It's all about your timing as well. If you're six foot two and you've got good timing, um, you done it, well. Ajay, what is he? Six foot four, six foot five, six foot five something yeah. like that. Uh, um, if, you get, think, if you're getting physically dominated by Jordan Hugel, you need to you need to have a look, long hard look in the mirror because but it wasn't. It's it, it's not just Jordan Hugel that's dominated. I Joey. Um, I'm trying to remember the the name of the Wigan lad. striker. Wigan, that's him. The Wigan centre forward was shoving yeah, him all over the place. Um, and desire, uh, isn't it? It, desire. It, it, he hadn't got the upper body strength necessary to uh, to battle against a, an energetic and uh, you know powerful centre forward and so it showed so it showed uh, today it sounds like I, it, yeah it sounds like i hate ajay and i do not i do not hate any albion player i'm just i'm just brutally honest sometimes when i say that he we need we need to seriously think about next season now uh, about what we're going to do about centre half john you've called it for ages You've called it for a long time now that we've got a really, really severe defensive issue at West Brom, uh, and it's never been addressed. And you're right. We, you only have to. I mean, there's so many games this season. You look at Blues. I mean, they kicked us all over the place. And I mean, yeah, you want some help from the referee. Fair enough. But we ain't going to get it from these blokes. They're incompetent. So we need to look internally. We need to look at ourselves and think. Right. How do we deal with this? Well, it's an attitude thing, in my opinion. If you want, if you're up for it, when you show, you remember Mike back in the day when it was Sunday League or Saturday League. If you were up for it, 
you were up for it. If yeah. people who weren't, weren't. And we've got a team of people who aren't up for it. They don't want the ball. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want to go out with the bruises to get into a bath, to have to have a massage. They just don't want it. They want to pick up their salaries, cheap. They want easy money. They want to pick up the salaries. They're thinking, I joined a Premier League club. I joined a club on the up. Why am I having to get kicked now? You can see it. it's written all over the performances. I'm not up for this. This is this wasn't what I signed up for. Well, we as a club desperately, desperately need to take a a really harsh view about these footballers. And we've needed to do it since the Ishmael days, which is what I used to bang on about, the fact that it was the squad that was the problem and not, not the manager. And we've never done it, but now we... we we, we, and we've hit the point where we have to do it and we're in the worst possible financial position to do it. It's it's just classic Albion, classic, classic Albion. I think going back to what you said, John, about, you know, taking, your, taking the lumps and, and being up for it. I mean, I'd point to teams like, and I don't want to segue off for too long here, but like teams like Arsenal, you know, they have players like Pires, Lundberg, Henri, but they also have players like Ray Parler, you know, Martin Keown, Patrick Vieira. And there's and this earn Petit, the right Emmanuel to play. Emmanuel Petit was the best. Was yeah, the best exactly. Example you know, of that. earn the and right Vieira? to play. Yeah, Patrick Vieira. Yeah. You know, people, you've got to earn the right to play. You can't just expect because you are this amazing quality football team to just brush teams aside. They're going to go for te- you know they're going to go for things they deem to be their advantage. And against West Brom at the moment, we're too soft. With you know teams coming physical, we seem to get bullied off the park, and it's a real problem that we're struggling with at the moment. But anyway, um, I want to go to the next comment, please, because I think uh, there's a few more, more good ones. So going to Colin Griffiths, he said, since Miguel, the sham of a reporter, linked with Triple C despite zero evidence, our season's fallen apart. Is there any look? Is there anything to look forward to next season? Also, serious question to Mike, John, and Steve: If the club folded tomorrow, who would you support and why? Um, so going firstly to um, look forward to next season. I'm going to wait and hear from John uh, and their finances before I make a decision on that because, yeah. Um, and in terms of, we talked about this quite a bit, haven't we, about what we do if West Brom folded. Um, I have no idea because what else do you do? Like, I'm not going to support the Wolves or the Villa. So, I don't yeah, know. Well, yeah. I think without West Brom, I'm just without passion, without the sort of the the drive required to watch it, really. I mean, I watch it. I, I, does any, I mean, do you watch football because you love football or do you watch it because you want to watch West Brom? I think from an entertainment side of things, I sometimes sit there and watch the Premier League or Manchester City or Tottenham or Arsenal or whatever. I mean, for example, I watched the Liverpool-Arsenal game uh, on the weekend and I sat there and sort of, I just, I was clapping the goals, you know. I was, you know, enjoying what was on, on offer, but it was completely... Um, it's just it, there was just it, it was just a completely passion devoid experience. It was just like I was I was it was like I was watching a soap opera um, on TV. And the most interesting thing was what the linesman did to Robertson for me, because I thought, well, that's interesting to see a, to see a linesman throw an elbow. That was quite interesting. Whereas you know <laughs> Salah missed Salah exactly. It was like it was great. Like Ray Mysterio, but like you know I don't know. I, I, what would you do? I'd I'd, I'd probably I, I I do watch football for entertainment purposes, but I think all of my passion for the game will have left me if West Brom go under. Yeah, Steve, what would you do, mate? I'm too long in the tooth now to uh, to even think about another uh, another football club. I've been I've been uh, totally and completely absorbed by Albion. Um, 
for around about 60 years, um, perhaps a little bit less uh, than that when my granddad started taking me up there to see the reserves uh, and then and then the first team a little bit later. Uh, it's no good me even thinking about it. Football to me is full of, well, cheats now. Uh, I can't watch. I can't watch the Premier League with these charge of VAR. Uh, it's not the VAR itself. It, I couldn't watch that. I, I, I didn't even watch England's games in the recent international break because, if brutally honest, I can't be asked. And uh, and my, my entire football existence and and my uh, my football identity is West Bromwich Albion. So if they go, that's it for me. They, they, you know, they can forget the money that I pay. It's gone to football. I've said for a long time. I'd go on a worldwide footballing tour. I'd go and watch. The, I'd go to iconic stadiums and enjoy the architecture. <laughs> <laughs> you seen that? Going back the, to look at the swoop of that arch. Well, I've got to go to the oh. San Siro before they knock it down. I mean, that's as, as iconic the San Siro with them swirly things on the outside. Mm, Been to Old yeah. Trafford. You know, I think that's the way forward. Is you, I would just do a world tour. Um, I'd go to the I'd go to the Seville derby. I'd go to the Madrid derby. You know, I'd try and do some things that were. I'd, that's what I'd do. But as I say, no passion. No. Going back to the VAR thing, we've seen that. You must have seen it where people have like superimposed, and it, rather than saying VAR checking goal, it says VAR checking club's badge. Yeah, because it's so uh, like. Well, funny enough, the P- is, haven't PG Mole, uh, whatever, or whatever their uh, anagram is of of, of, of incompetent, Big the anagram of incompetent that they are. <laughs> they've uh, they've come out and said that uh, they've actually fa- they've actually sacked one of the the blokes who was on who was on VAR for the Brighton Tottenham game. Well, that was ridiculous. And I've got a mate. He might be listening. Actually, I've got a mate who's a really big Tottenham fan. And uh, even he was saying the VAR decisions in our game was just a joke. Like Brighton should have beaten five of two. Um, so it's even even fans of clubs, you know, are saying those clubs are saying the, the, right. the, the decisions are abysmal. So you know, there's obviously something going on, but it's quite it was quite refreshing to see some uh, some consequences for a really poor and incompetent performance from an official, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to really because I mean, we're talking about VAR and we're talking about Premier League. Everyone's getting a hammer in today, <laughs> and country and 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 internationally. internationally. It's just a break from the baggies, mate. It's just a break from the <laughs> well, baggies. Yeah, I'm going to drag us yeah. back in a minute. It's like yeah, a lasso. Know, but, but what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is, the football now, football now is so lacks lacks any draw to me. I don't watch match of the day. I can't. No, I can't I watch don't. match of the day. Um, the, the punditry. And 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 all of that nonsense. Sky, Sky, I struggle with the big style. Like, uh, you know, it's it's again, it's just the structure of it all. Football, and and we've got all of these football clubs now in the championship, uh, and and obviously probably further down the pyramid to that, are in they are in real dire financial problems. Real traditional old regional football clubs that I can remember. And many, many more of our um, of our fans can remember if they're sort of my sort of age and older. Uh, that were huge clubs in the past, and um, and now they're they're struggling even even worse than us in some ways. I, I sort of like I, I don't know I don't know if they know accurately how badly we're struggling really yet. A, a lot of people, but um, I, I just think that unless something is is 
sorted out with regards to the structure of football. Um, we're, we're not going to have, we're not going to have it. It's not going to be like it's been for 150 years. It's going to be a very, very different animal soon. But that's enough. That's enough on the subject from me, to be honest with you, because I could go on up forever. We could have a whole podcast on it. Just yes. Sky Sports, just last thing on Sky Sports, Michael, promise, and then you can lasso us back to the misery. Uh, Roy Keane, Roy Keane, honestly, gives me life on Sky Sports. The guy is so brilliant. The way he like, he, he's just, he's all of us. He hates modern football and modern footballers, and just the way he rips them to shreds is just class. So, keep keep it up, Roy. Please don't have, don't have a chance. Find the good fight. <laughs> yeah, don't change, brother. I just think he hates people. Right, back on track because this is like the all things everything podcast now. Anyway, right. so uh, going to Mark Stevenson, he said, let's talk about our chances in the Papa John's Trophy, a great club, <laughs> <laughs> a club with great history, an amazing global fan base and a decent stadium, a tier three squad with non-existent corrupt owner and consortium with no investment nor interest. Bring an administration to get shot of this hierarchy. I thought this is the only way of ousting this criminal. When uh, when when Wrexham pass us on the way up with a YouTuber playing left midfield, I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> well, speaking of that, and we're off again. But did you see Ben Foster's save in like the 96th minute? Did he have his GoPro in his hand at the time? Oh, I I thought he might have bounced off the GoPro, <laughs> like he might have put it on the line and it bounced off. He's always got, got on the, the bridge of his nose. Sudden goal. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, <laughs> let's get back on something. People are thinking, what the bloody hell's going on with these people today? <laughs> We've just had enough, all right. Sick of this body. These people are throwing crap. So we're just going to have a laugh about it. Oh, anyway. Right, Glenn Hillman. He said, I'm actually lost for words. I'll still be listening to your podcast, though. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, Mark Griffiths said... As disappointed as I am with the, the way this season is ending, I think our fan base needs to a desperate reality check. We were 23rd when Triple C took over. We had a squad we knew didn't cut the mustard and its core hadn't performed for definitely three managers, Allardyce, Ishmael and Bruce, and arguably a fourth in Slav before them. He has turned miracles with his team to get them here. And I truly think without injuries that have blighted the squad, we could be in the top six. What this drop in form has done, however, is highlight how paper thin our squad was. We already knew this. And however good the coaching is, when we have a squad as unbalanced as ours, this is the inevitable result. My hope is that Triple C trained under Bielsa. They can take a group of hungry players and improve them. How many players could say that you have heard of the lead side that went up as champions? Most of them come from lower tiers or were rejects from bigger clubs that had had already failed. And he's putting brackets Bamford. I hope so because that's all we have to work with going forward. And that's my only hope, really. And we've I've been saying this since we've done this podcast. But my hope is in in the close season, we get rid of more of the dead wood, and we get, you know, we got these players on the periphery who are young, hungry players. I'm looking at you know your Jovan Malcolm, looking at your Reyes Cleary, people like that, Caleb Taylor who can hopefully come in, you know, and, and we can build a squad around them because it, it is a concern. Um, I think it's the only way that our uh, any number of our academy uh, players are ever going to get to, into the first team at West Brom because the situation that they 
perennially find themselves in is we're either, uh, and this is historically up until like a couple of seasons ago, we are either in the Premier League uh, battling against relegation. So what we then get is uh, managers, head coaches saying things like, well, you can't put him in against these must-win, in, in these must-win games because psychologically it'll, it'll affect him if things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we're either striving mightily for promotion, and again, this is like what we normally do as opposed to this season where we're doing our level best to chuck it away. Um, and so they say things like, well, we can't bring uh, peripheral sort of uh, academy players in because the games are so important and uh, they must win for a different reason, the opposite reason. Uh, so that you might psychologically scar them if things go wrong, if they make a mistake. Yeah. And all, all of that is bilge. It's just bilge. It's because what what managers have got is they've got this pressure upon them to get results and they will always seemingly go with people that they trust. I honestly think... They've got, they've got cleats they, to manage, I, I, I think, Steve. They've got cleats well, to manage. It's what yeah, my well, it's all about personnel, mate. It's all about people. Managing anything, managing whatever you are a manager of, it's all about managing people. The thing itself gets done. Um, and if it doesn't, it's because people have chucked a wobbler uh, and, and they won't do as they're told. Look, that's what's happening now. The, the, our squad, people talk about a paper-thin squad. Our squad was enormous. Um, we couldn't afford them, so a load of them have had to go out. and We had to get shot of them because we had that many, that, that bigger squad, really. Uh, and some of the ones who've gone out, uh, it, it looks to me like um, Corboran really covets, covets them uh, and wishes to, to, to God that he got them at his, uh, at his disposal. Kipre being the one that was talked about most, I think, in the, in the press and on Twitter and things. Um, Moet, another one, has, has cropped up in conversation a few times. But, you know, the, the club is in such a financial state because of who's in charge um, that we've got to the level where we can't afford to pay the wages of all of these people. So they've had to be shipped out. Um, and, and a, but one thing that hasn't changed, one constant, uh, is, is, our, is our level of blooming recruitment. We, we get lucky once in a while, um, and somebody might say that about somebody like Malumbi, and uh, and we got okay in, uh, but ninety nine percent of the times we're getting the likes of uh, Adam Reach, and we're getting the likes of Albright. Uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah, Mister Massive Contributor. Um, you know, th- these are the standard of players that we're recruiting instead of the ones that have gone out on loan or we've kept in. Because instead of the ones that have gone out on loan. So, yeah, the squad now is paper thin and simply because we've got all of these injuries. Um, but it wasn't. It's it just that um, the choices of those who went out on loan were uh, Steve Bruce's. Mm. Uh, the is, and so need, they, that's, what, that's what happened. We need a reset for how long now? You know, it, like I said, I feel like I'm just repeating myself, but it's like at the start of the season, or, you know, pre-season, we've got to get everybody back in, all the players on loan, all the U-team players, and say to Corbrand, right, who do you want out of that lot? And if you don't want them, we're going to have to actively try and, you know, get rid of them, whether that's paying them off, whether that's selling them, putting them out on loan, whichever it is. We've got, but we've got to make the right decisions, like, and we've got to try and stick with the manager. It's been too much 
of a mishmash recently. There's been too much of, you know, once it's it's Steve Bruce or it's Val, then it's, you know, now it's Corbran. It, we've got to just stick with the direction and go with it. And I'm hoping that that's the positive to look for next season. But it's whether we can afford to or not, because it might be a case of selling players that we don't want to sell, but we have to. So um, at Vanston, Vanstone Tim, thank you for your comment. He said, we are ponderous at best at present. Where has the high press gone? Our younger players still have much to learn and our more experienced players are not inspiring at all. We've placed too much expectation on the likes of Wallace and Swift. And final comment, Callum Bridge. Not sure what to expect next season. Talking of having to sell our best players, who's that then? Might get three to four million of O'Shea for O'Shea. Three million if anyone's willing to take a chance on DK with his fitness. Couple of mil for Palmer. Who else could we actually sell? I have no idea. Um, so let's go on to the interview. So firstly, and this was quite a telling interview, but um, Jed Wallace was talking to uh, BBC Radio WM. Uh, compliments to Rob Gurney. I thought the line of question was very good. He really got sort of, you know, the emotion out of Jed and, and sort of made sure that we got our answers as a fan base. So he basically, this is what he had to say. It's basically a loss, really. We started the game well, got 2 nil up, and then a goal out of nothing and a calamity goal, really. It's not on Josh Griffiths. He's a young player. It's down to the senior players to manage those situations better. It's disappointing. We had a massive opportunity over the weekend to make a dent in where we want to get to. And for the lack of better saying, we bottled it as a group of players. We've not done enough to win the two games and haven't played the level we know we can play at all, really. No disrespect to QPR, I've got a lot of respect for Gareth Ainsworth and have played against his wicking teams for years, but we should be beating teams like that at home with the form we've had, especially after going 2-0 up. Yes, it's, and then his brackets, the feeling for all of us. We've shown so much character to fight and claw our way into position from where we were at the start of the season to give ourselves a good opportunity. I don't think anyone can individually say they played well in the last couple of games, and we need that. We've got good players at this level, and if the big players don't turn up, then we're not going to win games. It's easy, it's easy excuse to say we're missing five or six big players, but that's football. We've got a good squad, and we've not used the opportunity to play anywhere near the level we've had over the last three or four months, and most of our careers, so we've definitely let ourselves and the fans down over the last two games. Uh, and then he summarised, not, it's, it, no, it's not a mentality issue. A lot of the dressing room has been promoted from this level at the club, so they've done it before. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I think fans see we're fighting for every ball, running hard, giving our all. It's just silly mistakes and people not playing to the level we know. It's certainly not a lack of effort, and I think everyone can see that. We're trying our best, but trying hard is not good enough. Playing for a team like this. We need to play better individually, and if we do that, then amazingly, we still have an opportunity to do something this season, which feels unjust after the last couple of games. But we know it's not dead and buried. If we can put a run together like we've shown this season, then anything can happen. There's a, there's a few elements to this. So firstly, I think there is an element of don't tell me, show me. Like, it's all well and good saying that, you know, saying these strong words, and a lot of people reacted to it. But, you know... <sighs> They're still on the pitch. Um, I think there is an element with Jed Wallace, to be fair to him. Like, I noticed he played a lot on the left wing again, which is starting to really infuriate me because everybody knows that right wing is his best position. But, like I said, there was a big reaction to this after the game. What did you make of it, Steve? I, I like, I, as a result of hearing him speak 
uh, and the things that he's done and the fact that he's a good footballer, um, it's convinced me even more what a good bloke he is. Um, he's, he, certainly, he certainly says all of the right things when he's given the opportunity to talk, that's for sure. Uh, and he's a good player on the pitch. You can see that. If, if we're gonna, a lot of good things come, come from him. And <clears throat> a lot of things that should be good don't. But he's provided the ball where, had we got quality on the, in, in the penalty area, we would have scored a lot more goals. Um, so, but what he has said is, is, is telling because it says it's not mentality and it's not a lack of effort. So therefore, it must, must be a lack of quality. Yeah, it's the only it's the only thing that's left. So what he's saying basically yeah. is that we're not enough. we're not good enough, um, or or some of the players on the park just ain't good enough to to deliver uh, what everybody wants. Which is horrifying it, when you look at our wage bill. Well, it, it when you look at the size of our squad, and again, all of the people who are out on loan, some of, I mean, I don't know how much of their wages are being paid. But this is a massive drain on the finances of our club at a time when we when we can ill afford it, uh, and it's it's just down to rank crisis, uh, crisis management, over, over a decade, um, where we've never got back to succession management. We've never done the uh, the turnover of players appropriately, uh, and we've never kept the finances uh, right since well since 2016 when we've got some money left in the bank. Uh, and, and and so we're in that situation now where we're signing players uh, after players have gone out on loan. So these players who are coming in are, are earmarked to come in and can come in when a player has gone out on loan just so that we can cover their wages. And they're just simply not of, not, not of the quality. Adam Reach uh, is one case in point. He's a, he's a worker. He's, he's experienced. Is is uh, probably an, a good old head to have around the squad if you can afford to have somebody who isn't particularly very good. Why did uh, we? But, why did we loan Mark or Brighton to play right midfield and send Moa out on loan when we knew that the problem was at number ten and Wallace can play right midfield? It just uh, that worries me about about Corbran. Well, is why it Corbran? Why did we not recall? Why did we not recall Mowat in January yeah. and signed? Probably Jeremiah. because we couldn't. To be fair, probably because we couldn't. Because I would imagine that Middlesbrough would have paid quite a hefty uh, loan fee, and that would have been to to negate the the recall clause. But I agree. I agree largely with Steve. I think I think it was a it was a really quite refreshing uh, admission from a footballer because they're not they're normally pretty accountable uh, accountability yeah. devoid. So um, he he has taken accountability yeah. there. Um, but he is part of the problem. His 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 um, his his performances have dropped off basically since January, and I suppose the debate is to uh, as to whether or not that's because he's being played out of position, or it's because his his nose has been put out of joint, perhaps by Michael Brighton being signed to play in his position, which I think would put my nose out of position to be honest, because I think he was good enough to keep his spot. I don't really know what Michael Brighton's brought to the team. Uh, that Jed Wallace wasn't bringing. Um, Nothing. In fact, I think he's a, he's a massive down downgrade. Um, <clears throat> so that one's on whoever made that decision as well. But yeah, you'll never find out who it is. You'll never find uh -huh. out who it is. I mean, so we, we've signed when we sign good players, um, at, or when it's we Ron's, out, it's Ron's decision. Yeah. Well, it 
when I wasn't going to say that, to be fair, but what, what I was going to say is that they'll always say, well, this is a, it's a team. The recruitment department is a team. And um, what they go with the triumvirate, don't they? It's uh, Ian Pearce. I was about to say, I think Ron Gawley just Cor- said it was all in with Cor- Yeah, exactly. Well, it, I, I believe I've read, uh, and I'm pretty sure of this, that I've read that the, the recruitment department now is, or the, the actual people who sign players, is Ron, uh, Ian Pearce, and Corbran. Um, now, how the presumably the last the, the person to have the last say, uh, hopefully would be uh, would be Corbran, uh, because if if you're a manager and you're not having a final say on on the players coming in, or at least having a strong a strong input on on the players that are coming in, really your you, your position's untenable, I think, largely. Well, so I would I'd, think he's got a he's got a pretty strong say. Well, I'd imagine you know you know Chalabar and Albrighton were were selected from what was it a data driven analysis and a, and a worldwide search of players like Ron Gourlay told us back in the day. You know this worldwide search we looked so far and wide for that we signed a player from Fulham and a player from Leicester. Um, you know, it's just not good enough. You know, Albrighton, I believe, was signed to replace Phillips, but he has not had the same effect whatsoever on the team at all. He's not as no, good as the... Phillips. No. Phillips could play across anywhere across the front. The you know the, the three behind the striker. It seems Mark Albrighton can only play right midfield, and even then, he doesn't play it very well. No, he doesn't play it very well. Um, well let's go. He's provided us with nothing. Let's go to Triple C's interview and then we'll go to the finances. So uh, he's talking to WBA.co.uk. He said, it feels like two points dropped. We started really well and we scored two goals. We have advantages to score more goals and create more chances, but we didn't use them. All of the things that we have done well to help us achieve results, we didn't do and we lost what we we do well. We conceded quite a lot of clear chances and didn't manage to create too many ourselves. I don't think the team is feeling as confident as they once were, and I think that is affecting them at the moment. The difficulties, the difficulties, are affecting us more than they perhaps should. Some of the things that are happening to us this season, such as losing a lot of important players to injury, we shouldn't use as an excuse, but we should have enough possibilities to cover and face the difficulty. We should have used the time better to make a difference to result, especially in the first half. We haven't won any of our last four games and it's important to show something different to be able to win the next game. We cannot think about anything other than the next game now and trying to win that one. That's the most important thing. I did put a tweet out again, I've been tweeting a lot recently, saying I do wonder whether Corbrand will actually be our manager at the start of next season. And the reason I say that is because the rumour is, or, or you know, the report was that he left Huddersfield because of a lack of ambition. Um, and after John's revealed the accounts, I don't feel like there's going to be much ambition at West Bromwich Albion. Do you think he could walk away or do you expect him to be our, our manager next season, Steve? Um, I think there's a strong possibility he won't be. Um, and that's my fear. Mm-hmm. My hope is my hope is that he's, he's here for the length, uh, at least the length of his... Of his contract, uh, and I'd like him actually, regardless of how things go over the next um, perhaps season or two. I'd like him to be here for as long as possible. Uh, I mean, Gary Megson was surprisingly only with us for about four years, uh, and look, look how that how the club was revolutionised by that man. 
with the with the benefit of four million quid, I think it was for that we got from Areska, he actually stopped us from going back down to Division Two or whatever it is these days. Um, and and ended up taking us into the Premier League on the basis of basically four million quid. But he was here for four years, and he was a, a presence, a unifying well, a unifying presence as far as getting the team together with the right mentality that he wanted. Well, we need that again, and so I want him to be here for the next four years at least. Um, and I need we need to, we need to unify the squad, or at least standardise the squad so that we've got it a com compatibility that we haven't had for seven years five years something like that yeah so that's what we need whether or not it's going to happen um i don't know because it, it well we'll see what john says about the accounts what do you think john <clears throat> uh i'm not that bothered really Fair. i think he's uh i think he's um I don't think he's 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 he's, he's capable. I th I'm going to say something got controversial now. I feel like we've got there's enough quality in the squad to win football matches against Rotherham and QPR, and I don't think he found a way. Um, and I think the more I the more the longer he's in charge, the worse we're getting. Um, now whether or not that's down to the players not wanting to play for him, or whether or not it's down to his tactics, I think it's a shared responsibility. Um, and I think. Whether or not he'll be here, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me one way or the other, really, if he was here or if he wasn't. I think he could be our Eddie Howe. Hopefully, that was that's 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 the the parallel that I'm drawing. I'd I'd want him to be our Eddie Howe, and the reason for that is a, a longevity of a, of a manager or a a, a head coach. That goes with success. It never, never goes with like the Watford model. It doesn't go with that. If you're going to get success, it's going to be because you get the right manager for a good period of time. Um, we know he can produce results because we've seen it. Um, but at the moment, our form is the opposite of a shit sandwich. You know, we've got the good bit in the middle. We were crap at the start of the season and we're, we're now devolving back to that now. But in the middle, we had a chunk of performances which provided the, a really sweet meat in the middle of there. Well, what we need to do is get that back, get that mentality back. And, uh, and I think it's possible that uh, the core brand's the man for it. But it all, it all depends on circumstances. You know what it is. It's all down to money. Absolutely. So we've alluded about it long enough. We sort of advertised it at the start of the show. John, you've been having a good look at the accounts, mate. I feel like this is where this podcast comes into its own with firstly being able to have the length of time that we need to discuss it and having your keen eye and your knowledge to break things down for us. So please enlighten us, mate, as you have numerous times before. How are things looking financially? <clears throat> so generally it's pretty, it's pretty abysmal, to be honest. Um, it doesn't get much worse. Uh, the, I mean, if you start right at the very beginning of the accounts, there's a, there's actually a statement from the director's, which essentially says uh, that now a going concern is a concept in accounting, which means is this business going to continue to operate uh, effectively into the future? So if you're a, if you are of a going concern, that's what that means. Uh, and our going concern going concern statements basically says 
that our ability to continue as a business depends on how much we get for our players to be sold in the future. So we've just admitted to the market that we are a selling club. We want to sell players actively, which has just driven down the value of all of our players. So whatever our internal valuations were, which were based on, which have based on, so whatever the auditors have done to come up with that going concern statement, which has been signed by the directors, what worries me <clears throat> is, uh, have they been pessimistic enough with the values of the players that they've given to when doing the going concern assessment to identify whether or not we actually are a going concern? Because as soon as you tell the market that you are a selling club, the value of all the players that you're trying to sell go down because everybody knows you're trying to sell. Imagine if somebody came to you with a car and said, oh, I really don't want this car. Uh, I need to get rid of it. I've got all of these problems at home. You know, I've got all of this. You're not going to pay top dollar for it, are you? So um, that's what we've just done to the market. We've just told them that um, that we need to sell. Uh, if you go further into the accounts, <clears throat> um, we've made a small profit, uh, five million quid. First profit, I think, we've made since 2016 off the back of my head, off the top of my head, um, or perhaps 2015. But what that tells me, I think, more than anything, and I think what if you take the the statement, the director's statement about going concern and the profit together, it suggests to me that the auditors have taken a very hard line with the board this year, um, and they forced them to to take some financial decisions which perhaps they don't want to take. For example, writing off the loan. So uh, the loan to Wisdom Smart for five million pounds that was so widely publicised over the last uh, year or so has, has been written off. What that means is that we've taken the hit to our P&L. So we've actually said we're not we're not going to get this loan back. It's not coming back. Uh, so it's no longer an asset on our balance sheet. Um, and as well, we've been loaned, I believe we've been loaned some money by a company called Warmfront um, at quite a really, really high interest rate of a couple of, of uh, so, uh, and I've heard, don't quote me on this, this is just what I heard on Twitter, I, I don't know if this is true or not, so that's the disclaimer, is that that's, that's actually got a similar ownership structure to us. Um, so it's almost as if we've lent our own money back to ourselves <laughs> at a really high interest rate. So it it's all looking pretty weird if i'm honest uh, and as a guy who's worked in in worked with finances in the history in the past i've never i've never actually seen a uh, a going concern statement that that negative <laughs> so it's about as pessimistic as it gets really lads great news that isn't it really yeah so looking at this I, I think the fan base, or you know, me understanding, was the twenty million pound loan from MSD Holdings was to keep the club running at its current level. So I'm talking to mortgage about, that is, mate. So just yeah. just just to give you just to give you some context, well, that's a mortgage. So we haven't just borrowed twenty million quid unsecured. We've borrowed it against all of the club's assets. Yeah. So MSD basically owned the stadium. And I think the training ground, and I think several other pieces of land as well. Yeah. Until we pay that twenty million quid back, there's some trademarks so, as well in there. I think as well. Yeah, there's a few intangible assets too. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a true mortgage. I mean, that's what's quite funny. Well, funny, it, darkly comedic about the whole thing, is that um, Lies spent two hundred two hundred million pounds for something that could only be mortgaged for twenty million. Yeah. So sorry. So. This this MSD that we've mortgaged this this loan whatever you want to call it, we were led to believe, and I'm pretty sure we were told by Ron Gourlay that this was so that the club could 
you know, keep its current level. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it wouldn't be a fire sale of players. You know, we could keep our, our squad as it is. But that's going. according to Ron Gawler. Yeah. The auditors, whoever they are, I think it might be PWCY or one of the other big firms, disagrees with him totally. So and basically that, yeah, so we need more than, we need to sell players as well as a £20 million loan to stay functioning. That's what, that's seems what that the way, auditors are saying, yeah. That's what the auditors are saying, yes. Right. That's what, it, that's what it looks like to me anyway from reading that statement, unless I've misunderstood something dramatically, but that's how it reads. It basically says it doesn't matter what the contents of these accounts are. In the future, we're going to need to sell all of these players or a huge chunk of these players. Otherwise, it's we're, we're in which curtains anyway. Mm. Can you understand, John, how when the club's in such a perilous position financially, they're then able to um, record a profit? Because a profit to someone like me, someone <laughs> who is, you know, so unfinancially savvy, I ain't got a clue what I'm talking about, would go, well, I made a profit. That's good news. And I think the club almost played on that a little bit because the statement was like the club had made a profit. How have they done that? Do you know? Uh, well, I haven't. I haven't looked into the numbers. The problem is with with accounts is you only get the inf- information you get. You literally get one liners for stuff that is really complicated. Yeah, um, like player expenditure or something like that. Yeah, like yeah, that. stuff like you can't see who you know. You can't. Well, you, you, they don't even tell you what player expenditure is, mate. They don't even tell you what the players' salaries are. They just say staff. Ex- they just say what the what they paid everybody. You know what wages from a footballer to an office staff to that's everybody. Everybody, yeah, you know. To Rob so um, how you get to a profit really and truthfully depends on what you. It, it goes all the way down to below the line stuff. So without getting too complex, there's. There's, there's two key metrics in accounting. There's profit before tax and there's EBITDA. And what EBITDA is, is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortisation. And what that's used for in uh, financial analysis is a proxy for the cash generation of the business. So if you're saying that a business has got cash, it should have a positive EBITDA. If a uh-huh. business has got but profit, Gets, for example, depreciation. So if you've bought a load of cars uh, or a load of stuff that depreciates quickly, like footballers uh, amortise very, very quickly. Their contracts amortise every single year because they're paid, they only have three-year contracts and they're paid a lot of money. That's not actually a cash um, hit to your balance sheet. That's a cash hit to your P&L because you pay them, you pay them salaries. So profit and loss is completely separate from the, the profit-driven part of your business. It's almost a case of it's hard to it's hard to see in the accounts how we've actually generated a profit. There's a lot of quite unusual transactions that have gone on. Um, that's not to say that there it's just not something that without the detail I can't see um, the reality. Would it, not of. Be, would it not be true to say that a bit more's come in that's gone out? Well. Yes, basically. That's that's how profit and loss works, yeah? Profit versus loss. So five million quid profit this year means that we've we've generated five million pounds more revenue than we've we've had expenditure. But and the thing but the snag is, of course, that takes into consideration the last of our um parachute uh, of our parachute payments. What matters, uh, and of course, what matters next season there won't be. Largely in accounting and financial analysis, the profitability of a company is irrelevant. It's how much cash do they have and what's their cash generation um, potential in the future. And that's um, and what think- one of the that's one of the big pluses that was present at the time that Lie bought 
the club, I, I believe, we got a, a cash surplus of something like around about 40 million quid, hadn't we, or something like that. I seem to remember reading very, very that. Quick. Well, and it was spent all exci rather excitingly um, on uh, what turned out to be... Uh, pretty poor players. Yeah, pretty, pretty poor players. Um, 2016-17, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. And the cash. The thing is with cash is what's weird. What cash sits on your balance sheet is, and it creates, it makes you profitable. It's an asset. Um, but your ability to replenish cash uh, is not largely to do with your profit. It's to do with how good you are at, at uh, managing ins and outs, timing wise. And we're awful, so, aren't we? For example, if you need eight million quid to pay your tax bill, you've got to have eight million pounds in cash in your bank account. At the end of the at the time when that cash, that tax bill becomes uh, becomes due. due, but if you've got you know it, there's there's all kinds of things you can defer, but that's one you can't. And this is what worries me about us is you know we've 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 lost five million pounds in cash, cash. We turned it into an asset on our balance sheet by loaning it to somebody else and then wiped it out. So all we've done is we've just given away five million pounds of our cash. Um, to Wisdom Smart, which have then has then disappeared, um, and every single every single month that we pay interest on the loan to Warm Front Holdings, whoever they are, that's cash. It's all cash. You see, all of our what's bad about the West Brom accounts is everything. Um, it, everything out is cash. Everything in is asset. In inverted commas, uh, so it's a it's a potential future cash flow, whereas everything out is a guaranteed present cash flow. And that is a problem. That's the problem, I think, with our accounts is it, it, we, we look very, very precarious. And I think that's mm. reflected in the auditor's statement. It, well, it comes across loud and clear to the layperson that we're in a mess, to be honest with you, from what's uh, from what's said, from what I've read. <clears throat> I think football's um, a unique industry, though, isn't it? I mean, football is generally a unique industry. I mean, entities have lost money every year for, you know, 15, 20 years and continue to exist. Um, it's generally rare for companies, for footballing businesses to make profits. Um, but what kills football in companies is cash, cash flow. Um, if you look at every company, every 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 um, club that's gone under in the past, like Berry, or um, they've always gone down because they couldn't pay their tax bill. Um, and your tax. But they won't tolerate it, will they? No. They, well, the HMRC are not willing to be a. a a credit a creditor to you they, they they want they want their money when it's due um so hopefully that 20 million pounds in cash that we borrowed from um msd is going to going to cover that sort of things like that and this is where it worries me is because we need that money to get out of this division but it's going to be eaten up by all of the uh all of the liabilities that we've created which result in negative cash flows mm. and you know, like people are paying for Carl and Grant. We've got to continue to pay for him for the next how many years? That's going to be a couple of million a year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so without, well, I, I, I don't know how to be more positive than I am, guys, but it, it just looks. No, you, well, you can't. You can't tell the truth, John. Mm. I think yeah. the thing that concerns me, and there's a couple of things I want to bring up, and the first one being, how do you how do you put a, a, a pound value on a footballer? I mean... So, for example, like you could look at someone like, I don't know, let's say, uh, let's say Carlin Brad. And what's he got left? Three years on his contract? And we paid, yeah, yeah we paid, I don't know, what was it, 15 million for, for good for him. So you say he had a five year contract, that's three million a year. So he should still be worth around about nine million. 
No, you can't value you can't value a human being. So one of the key um, concepts in accounting is that you can't you don't own a human. Right. So you can't say so under normal circumstances. If you bought a, if you bought say a piece of factory machinery, uh, what you would do is you'd record it in your accounts at the cost that you paid for it. So say you paid a million pounds for it, and you went this piece of machinery is going to last us for ten years. Uh, what would happen is is that every year you would transfer one tenth of the cost to your profit and loss as an expense, and that's what depreciation is. With footballers, all you can do is you can record the cost of their contract, the future outgoings of their contract over the period of their contract and amortise it like that. Amortisation and depreciation are the same thing. It's just that amortisation happens to intangible assets, i.e. things you can't touch. And, t- and depreciation happens to tangible assets, i.e. things that exist like a computer or a car or a piece of factory machinery. Amortisation is I've got an intangible asset, something I can't touch, like a contract. A contract exists, but it's 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 a theory. It's ethereal. It doesn't it doesn't have substance in form, does it? It's it's just an agreement between two people. So it's an agreement. It's not material, isn't it? Exactly. It's not material. Correct. So you can't say that this is this is this. You know, you're not taking a piece of that paper and putting it in the bin, are you? That like you are yeah. with a car, yeah, yeah. where every time you drive it, you're ruining. You know, you you're wearing it yeah, out. You're devaluing it. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So. Just to explain, because I hate getting really technical because it's, it's it's a bit boring. But the point is, is that um, so when you take a player, you just, so someone like Carlin Grant, if you were paying him uh, <clears throat> five million pounds, say over five years, so he was on twenty thousand pounds a week, his value in our accounts at the end of the second year of his contract would be three million pounds. And what that is is that's five million pounds, which is the total value of his contract minus the two million that we've already paid him equals three million pounds. So to make a profit on disposal on Carlin Grant, we'd have to sell him for more than £3 million. Otherwise, we're making a loss in the accounts. And what will happen is, say we sell him for £2 million, we'll take the £2 million, we'll offset it against the £3 million that's on the balance sheet, and then we'll have to take a million pounds of our profit and loss and offset it against that, less, that, that extra three. So we're then going to make another million to become profitable next year. Yeah. And that's what makes footballing accounts so weird, is... You don't have actual objects like the bulk of your um, your outgoing. The biggest the expense really is the bulk of your assets are human beings, which you can't value. Yeah, there's a couple of other things I want to bring into this. Um, Kieran Maguire um, posted a few things on Twitter. Uh, He's a great bloke to, to follow. He is if you if you if you're interested in the football, the finances of football, because he he is an expert. Yeah. And uh, there's a few, I know I'm pulling things from different sources, but I think it needs highlighting. So firstly, uh, he tweeted on the 6th of April saying, West Brom Group, £20 million loan from MSD Holdings interest rate is SONIA plus 9.75%. So works out at 13.93% or £7,600 a day. Yes, um, yeah, is is what replaced LIBOR. If anybody knows what LIBOR was, London Interbanking uh, Origination Rate, which used to be the rate by which banks lent money to each other. Um, and that was always really low because to, to keep the economy going, you have to have a really low LIBOR rate so that banks can move cash between each other. It's like a liquidity thing. Sonia is just a different rate, name for LIBOR, but it's but it's it's pegged, I believe, to the interest, the Bank of England interest rate. Obviously, which has gone up 
by what four and a half percent in the last year so what was a sub one percent interest rate has turned into a five percent interest rate so that's what kieran's saying he's basically saying that yes you've got so even if the even if sonia was zero percent we'd still be paying 9.4 percent on 20 million quid which is just sub two hundred thousand pounds a year which is insane but when you start and then when you think about the fact that we've got to add another five point whatever percent on because of because of sonia that's when it becomes problematic it's almost we're getting into credit card territory imagine borrowing 20 million pounds on your credit card yeah like it's getting to that level because because the interest rates are going up because the economy's in a mess the wider economy's in a mess it's the worst possible time to bear to borrow money now and Lai's gone and done that instead of investing 20 million of his own cash, which I think was what Rob Ron Gourlay's um, uh, frustrations was around, if you remember. Is he said, I asked for investments, and what he gave me is this 20 million pound loan. Yeah. And then the other thing he mentioned was West Brom Parent Company, and you talked about this already, John, but the West Brom Parent Company has taken a 2 million pound loan from Warfront Holdings owned by the club owner, which interest is being charged at 5% per month which works out at 79.6% per annum. Wonga loan. So for me, looking at, like I said, with my, you know, untrained eye, how can the club sustain this? You know, we're going to a place without without parachute payments. We're, We're like mortgaged up to the eyeballs now. For me, this can only end one way. And it's just my opinion, but... How no, are we you're not right. facing administration in the future? Uh, well, in, in, in my opinion, we are. And I, I'm happy to go on record and say that. I think we are. I think I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Somebody who's, you know, <laughs> just, it's a sh- it's shambolic. I've never, I've never, ever, ever looked at anything like it. It's, it's as if, um, well, I don't really know how to describe it. It's like um, you've given your nine-year-old on Candy Crush your credit card and they've just gone completely bananas spending, you know, 50 grand on Candy Crush dollars. It's, this, it's bonkers. I, I apologise, I'm picking your brain a lot here, mate. But So there is some people that have said, or of the opinion, that administration in some ways would be a positive thing because they believe that it would open up the club's finances. We'd have more scrutiny. There'd be more information to the fans than there's ever been before. And it might be a way of finally getting rid of this owner who is seemingly running our club into the ground. Is Of your opinion, is there any truth in that? Is there any reason that would be a positive in any way? I mean, I don't, I've never heard of administration being a good thing. Administration would relegate us pretty much immediately, I think. If you look at us next year... Are we likely to be a uh, challenging for the title? Probably not. So we'd be looking at being a mid-table championship club again. If we lose 20 points, then we're in derby territory. Um, so on the pitch, no, it's it's wildly, profoundly negative. Off the pitch, uh, it depends, Mike. Largely, it depends. Is there, you know, we've been through auditors like I've never seen anything like it. Now, one of the, and I'm not saying this is true, this is the case, but one thing that normally that has been the case with auditors when you're going through auditors is that there's fraud within the accounts. And if there's fraud in the accounts, then all bets are off because if they've if they've been misrepresenting things, then we could be in a far worse financial position than we look to be in. Um, you know, thinking of Enron, 
uh, I don't want to mention these companies with lightheartedly, but you know, you think of companies which have been fraudulent in the past. You know, it, it's got all the hallmarks of 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 of, uh, of just bizarreness. Um, is administration a good thing? Administration is never, ever, ever, ever a positive. Um, it depends on who buys us, and we're, now we're saddled with millions and millions and millions of pounds of loans. We become an even worse investment because whoever buys us has got a, has got a clear. 22 million pounds worth of loans or 20 odd million pounds worth of loans um before they even start to invest in the club um i i feel i feel really quite concerned really 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 concerned i'd love for for kieran Maguire to actually specifically look at our club uh and examine having examined our finances to uh, as far as it's possible for him to do is to actually explain to, well, to me, but obviously not to me, just to me personally, but to us as a fan base, uh, exactly what his belief that the consortium that bought us his strategy is He's to the ownership. To be honest with you, Steve, it's it's really tough because. But how do you? What I'm, what I'm all you've got, is, all you've got, is you've just got these lines. I mean, you know, everybody will think that a set of accounts. A set of accounts for a company as opaque as West Bromwich Albion is is the minimum amount of, of information they, they need to give you. I mean, I'm talking yeah, the minimum. They don't break anything down. So you can't sit here and say, you can't, I can't even sit here and say, or Kieran couldn't even sit here and say with any confidence how the player salaries have evolved over time. Because You're there's just there. one line. It's not there. You, you, you'll never get that access to that information. The only people who have access to that information are inside that club, are inside the club. So what you'll get is you'll get a similar answer to this, which is uh, it doesn't look good. Because, But you can't tell in detail what's actually happened behind the scenes. The only way that's going to happen is, is in an administrative scenario. And even then, whoever, become, whoever the administrators become... They don't have to. They don't have to release line by line accounts and uh, really, really an, uh, in depth analysis. I think that's uh, my point, really. My point is, and I, I, you've said this to me before, uh, John, about uh, the minimum of information appearing in the, in the accounts. Um, but I have. It's it's a it's a particular bugbear with me, or a hobby horse with me, because I have I have been now for a long time trying to fathom why this man and this this consortium that this man heads and i'm talking about guochen lai what motivated him to buy west bromwich albion i think he was first and, him, right? first and foremost that was the first thing why did he buy it and then the second thing is why did he think it was a good idea to pay um the amount of money that he did, which is somewhere between 175 and 200 million quid. It's like, and then the third poser is having A, bought it, and B, have sunk so much money, not just of his own, but other people's money into purchasing the club. Why now does it appear that the club is just being allowed to die? <clears throat> and that's uh, what I'd like to, it's a good that's, question that's, and I think the, 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 it's, the problem is pal is 
all of the financial risk sits with the, 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 the financial risk. This is the problem with football clubs is from an accounting perspective, you can treat them like a normal business. But a normal business does not have fans. It does not have stakeholders like like we have. It's normally all financial. So what keeps everybody on the straight and narrow is is the financial risk. This guy does not behave like he has any financial risk. I agree. It's bizarre. It's utterly and that's bizarre. That's the point. It, it, it's almost the norm. If- the, no, the normal. The normal things which keep you in check, like you've got to pay your mortgage every month, so you don't go into work and tell your manager to get stuff, do you? Because you, you need to pay the mortgage at the end of the month. So all the normal controls that you don't need controls for because you're just like, well, everybody wants to pay their mortgage. It's like the financial crisis all over again. Everybody thought that everybody would always pay their mortgage. So they always let, they felt comfortable lending to people on the basis that the mortgages would always get paid. That, 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 that theory went out the window with the financial crisis. It's almost as if he's not behaving like any normal person would, would behave, like a billionaire behave which makes me think yes. he's not a billionaire he's bought there don't seem to be any logic he's bought he's bought this club with other people's money <clears throat> in my opinion um and uh, he's he, he's never surrounded himself with the financial expertise required to actually run it and i think jeremy peace got as much as he could for the club as possible based on the fact that there was 40 million pounds of cash sat in the business because if you just swap 40 million pounds cash for 40 million pounds cash it's a nil transaction isn't it so what lie was think for so 40 million of that valuation was buying the cash so what he actually paid was 160 million if if which is still an outrageous sum of money well i think to be honest i think to be honest with you i wouldn't i wouldn't have such a problem with him the amount of money that he's paid for the club and the fact that he's bought the club, if there was some investment plan in place, if there had ever been an investment plan in the place, where in place whereby and a strategy and a parent that forty million, to that make, forty million quid was supposed to was supposed to take us to the next level. That's my opinion. Yeah, that forty million uh, yeah. pound we, we 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 blew up the wall was supposed to take us to the next level and it didn't and it, it actually destroyed us. And I having think once, having that, that happened, once that had happened, it was finished. It was going exactly. Over. But having that and in that situation, I mean, there must have been a contingency in place for it for the for Plan A not working. In my mind, it's like that's Plan A. We've I got think forty we million. It play out, mate. Go and get Villain, yeah, well, Go and get Villain, Ishmael. Go and do these. All of these things were supposed to work. And none of them and have none worked. of them have. And now you're in plans, plan Q. Mm. Um, and yeah. I think... Well, you of know, course, all this is supposition, isn't it, really? So uh, It's hindsight's twenty twenty. I think in the, in the mm. moment, it, there was all of these... There were all these key decisions being made, um, which has led us to where we are now, you know. But why you wouldn't then... Why you would go and get a loan of £20 million instead of... If you're a true billionaire... You know, a true cash-rich billionaire. Why you would saddle a, an already distressed asset with twenty million pounds of high-interest debt instead of giving them the twenty million pounds? I don't and not repay your five million pound loan, that you and owe. not repay the five million quid that you owe to them already. It just seems utterly, unless you're just completely illogical. That end. You're asset stripping that entity. Unless mm. you're stripping all of the assets out of that entity to get as much cash back as you can and sell it for a bottom dollar price. Well, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But the thing is, though, if if you if you asset strip, it's it's evident to me that the assets don't equate to the the price they never paid have. for the club. 
Two hundred million pounds for us was an obscene price when it was when it was when it was paid, and I said it. If you remember, I said, oh, "How on earth?" We all knew we, it, we, didn't we? Well, how on earth could we ever be worth that? Because two hundred million pounds is like two Southamptons. So there's two last things I want to mention before we uh, move on. So the first one is a quote from Jeremy Peace, and this was 19th of February, 2015. And he said, I believe it's a sound company, an extremely solid football club with no debt, significant assets and a developing infrastructure and reasons to be confident about the future. I'm happy to continue as we strive to deliver Premier League football whilst growing the club within our means. But equally, if there is someone out there willing and capable of taking the club further forward, I am willing to step aside and negotiate a change of ownership, providing it was an investment that was right for the club. Thanks for that, Jeremy. You did a smashing job. So the last thing I want to ask, John, in terms of this before we move on, is the word administration's banded around a lot. And I don't know, I don't personally know what it actually means. So would you mind just explaining a little bit that if West Brom <clears throat> was to go into administration, what would that actually mean? It means uh, that basically a set of accountants would take over the running of the club. Um, the club is no, no longer solvent. It's no longer able to uh, meet its meet its debts. It's basically bankrupt, uh, but uh, the creditors are not banks. So what you're essentially saying is is that you know the business is is is, is beyond repair without drastic action, uh, and it's it's handed the, the running of it is handed over to administrators who are usually uh, accountants, um, and what they will do is they'll look for a way of creating a sustainable. Uh, scenario for the club in the short term which means they'll sell as many assets as possible to generate enough cash to meet as many uh, debts as they possibly can they'll uh, they'll uh, <clears throat> they'll they'll look to, to to keep the club going in the short term so it's it's not a positive thing it's not going to be good for us um, and, it, and it and it comes with a hefty points deduction so yeah yeah uh, it's basically the, the the current management being taken out of management of the club and it being given to a set of accountants who are going to run the club purely on the basis of the financials. Okay, thank you for that, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> One of our previous podcasts was described as a doom fest. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like people aren't really like sort of saying, wow, what a great positive podcast, but it is what it is. Um, so... Before we uh, end the podcast, a couple of more things I want to mention. Um, so firstly, uh, Action for Albion, they've been busy. And there's a couple of things I want to mention. So we were proud to put our uh, name on the open letter that Action for Albion and shareholders for Albion uh, addressed to Goa Chen Lai uh, very peacefully, basically saying they want to have a meeting um, and, and, you know, talk and talk about that we need to have more information and we fully support it. And like I said, was proud to put our name to it. And hopefully, uh, I think Kent has got to go to China and uh, report back on what's going on. I'm sure it's not going to be, well, you're very popular in the Midlands. Um, so, yeah, um, there's that. Uh, also, uh, against QPR, there was a protest, um, a bit of a drastic one, I suppose. The most drastic one they've done so far uh, was that they would not enter the stadium until the 12th minute. Um, at DY1 Baggies, thank you very much to him. I uh, spoke to him. He was at the um, he was at the protest, and I asked him what he made of it and how it went. 
uh, and he basically said there were a chance of joining if you want lie out uh, but when people were walking past it turned into walk past if you want lie in and walk past if you just don't care uh, he said it wasn't very good like we want to encourage folk to enjoy like to join you know the sort of action for Albion movement not alienate them um, there was a couple of characters apparently who wanted who were encouraging pitch invasions but Ali from Action Albion went and had a chat with them um, he did also mention about the club that a lot of the turnstiles have been closed there was only four open and there was only two stewards so it was quite difficult to get in after the 12 minute um after the 12 minute protests and he was quite disappointed by that so yeah all in all apparently there wasn't as many numbers as the um as the initial march they did a few weeks ago but in my opinion i think it's important you know action for albion i suppose as long as well as podcasts like ourselves is the voice for the fans or you know the fans so it's important to support as much as possible because you know john's just explained to us all what is going on with these accounts and we need to get rid of this owner goachin like has no interest he, he's by his actions there is no you know sort of care for west Bromwich albion it seems and as soon as we can get rid of this ownership the better and, and if he, hopefully move if, on. If, do you know what for me if he was really like present i'd be less concerned but the yeah. fact that he's just disappeared off the face of the earth worries me as well because it's so illogical the way that the club's being run and he's just gone and i mean yeah. i know ron said that he's, he's speaking with him every day but he's speaking through somebody else every day so even the chief executive of the club can't get in touch with this guy so where is he yeah, very good question me, that is yeah. I think Where on earth is he? You know, is, the, the club's the club is slowly is, is disintegrating into the ground in front of him. It's it's apparently his investment of two million or people that he's responsible for, and he's just nowhere to be found. And even the CEO can't find him. It all seems very very odd to me. Very odd. Yeah. So um, final thing before we end the podcast. Uh, looking forward to our next game. Well, looking forward to is that I don't know. Our next game is. <laughs> Uh, this Saturday, fifteenth uh, of uh, April, we're playing Stoke away. Now, as Jed Wallace said in his earlier interview, uh, which we talked about, I don't know, about an hour and a half ago, um, we are still within a shout of the playoffs. We're five points off. Uh, we've got a game in hand on four, three of the four teams in the playoffs. So, it's, there's still a possibility of us getting in the playoffs. The problem is, for me. We could be one point outside the playoffs. The way we're playing is so poor. I can't just I can't see us picking up the points between <clears> now and the end of the season to get in the playoffs. Players look demoralised to me. I don't think there's any chance of it. No. Well, it, it's a it's a it's a plain fact that if we continue playing the way we have been since beating Middlesbrough a two 0 if we carry on playing the way we have since that result. Uh, even if we do, per chance, drop into the um, into the playoffs, we certainly ain't going to win them. No, I mean, the, 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 you know, one of the things that people have said is, well, the, the team obviously deals poorly with pressure. Well, what what higher pressure, you know, sort of situation is the playoffs, especially the final, it's the ultimate, exactly. The so ultimate they're, pressure game. they're done with it, mate. They're done with it. Yeah. The players just look done to me. Done. So we're going for an eight nil West Brom win. 
Who cares, really, at this point? I think it's it's it's, it's time for a reset. And for me, I'm looking forward to next season already. I'm I'm done with this. I'm I'm looking forward to summer to see whether or not my theories are correct and my analysis is correct, uh, or whether or not there is some uh, some some short and medium term silver lining um, that I've missed uh, because. It's a proof of concept, if nothing else, because if you look, if you if you look at you look at the behaviour, you look at all of the all of the signifiers, all of the flags, the red flags are all there, um, and it was a really interesting part of the podcast, in my opinion, when we talked about Corbran and whether or not he'd be here. I know I said I wasn't that bothered, uh, but that's based largely on his um, the, the the shortcomings. I think I see in his his tactics. It may well be that he's doing things that. He feels like he needs to do to get the right players out, which I'm, yeah. gonna, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt. I hope that's the case. Um, if we get rid of the right players, if we, there is a little bit of money lying around and he can spend it effectively, maybe there is a silver lining. But um, it could be a proof of concept. It could be proof of concept time, <laughs> which is uh, not yeah. a good thing. And, and I think if we don't have uh, Corbra, um, bearing in mind his recent sort of like uh, his very short, brief, but largely positive, uh, well, in fact, hugely positive uh, influence on the club since he came. Um, if we don't have him at the start of next season, um, I can't see anything but accelerating towards um, oblivion. What are we going to end up with? We're going to end up with some young bloke who's on, who's trying his hand, aren't we, basically? We're going to end up with some like lad who's just, you know... And then you just, you're back in the mix. You're back in the mix with the QPRs, the the... You know the rest Redding's, of the clubs that are yeah. just that are on the way, the one the way out. Reading, yeah, like, right. you know we're, we're going to be like that. So, yeah, well, again, on the basis of no money, on the basis of no money, so you probably end up with Steve Bruce back. No, he, even Steve Bruce wouldn't touch us with a barge pole, mate. He, yeah, we got it. We got to get. We got. We got to get sold. We got to get sold. But I, I, I think if I was an investor, honestly, if I was if I was advising a, a really wealthy person to, who wanted to get involved in football. Um, I'd be saying wait a while for West Brom because it might only cost you 40 million quid and that's including the debt. So that'd be a 90% loss for Rely, um, according to some metrics. But if you actually look at... I mean, the other thing as well, something we didn't talk about, sorry, when we were talking about the value of the club under Jeremy Peace. Remember all the players we had in the academy? They might have looked at them and said they're worth ten million. He's worth fifteen million in the future. He's worth twenty million. They've all slowly disappeared. So maybe the valuation wasn't completely insane, giving them the benefit of the doubt. But um, we haven't even got that, have we? Now, so we're, uh, we're we're looking like a cheap investment for somebody, somebody with ambition. Just to end it on a positive note, if they can get us for the right price, we'll fly, absolutely fly. Because if you want to sink. If you're if you're looking to sink 120, 150 million pounds into a football club, there's few better on the planet of us if you can get us for 20, 30 million pounds because everybody knows who we are. From a brand recognition perspective, you know we're up there with a Premier League club, and we are a Premier League club in waiting. From a facilities perspective, we just need to get rid of this uh, this this drag weight which has been this uh, millstone around our neck. On, exactly. mind you, on a positive note, I have heard a rumour that Elon Musk's a bagger. <laughs> Tried to buy Man United, didn't he? Apparently, he's got yeah, he, he, he's go for the next best know, thing. You know what you get well, with him. It's, you know the stars he, are the limit. If, he, if he's uh, he's been knocked back, and it, the, the last two investors for Manchester United are apparently in the third round. I read today, so they're in the third round of bidding. 
Who knows? Maybe he fancies it. The thing I would Come say, on, looking, forward you know you ne- looking forward to next season, you know, and, and people have mentioned this, I feel like the positive could be, you know, you've seen teams before where they've gone through financial hardship and they've managed to get a core group of players together who want to fight for the badge and they've they've done really well. And I think, like I said already, in our outer squad, in the peripheries of our squad, I feel like there's a good team there and, and possibly a good squad. And if we can get rid of more Deadwood and we can, you know, make a couple of positive, even if it was just the people back from loan that are up for the fight and, and want to get us promoted under a core brand, who's obviously a, an inspirational manager because he turned us around from being a joke under Steve Bruce to being where we are now. I feel like there might be positive signs. Yes, we've got this financial situation hanging over our heads. My hope is that it won't we're too big us to fail. Season. We have to be. My my hope is we're too big to fail. Like yeah. we're, we're West Bromwich Albion. We're not, you know, without being too disrespectful, we're not Berry, are we? No. You know, I'd hope that we would, we, somebody would, would, would come in and, and sort of save, save us, us. Yeah. before it became completely terminal. Yeah. So, anyway. It's been a bit of a, a somber podcast, but fingers crossed things will improve um, and uh, we'll see where we go from here. But thank you very much, guys, for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking to you both about the Albion, even if it was not the most positive episode. Um, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to listen to more, uh, we've got a big back catalogue on all the big podcast platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music and all the rest. Um and if you're if you if you'd like to subscribe, that'd be brilliant. Uh, we're also on social media uh, at MikeyWBFC and at All Things WBFC on Twitter and All Things Albion on Facebook. Like I said, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. It's always a pleasure. It's good to be back, um, and hopefully, we get a positive result against Stoke. Boing boing. Boing boing. boing, boing. boing.